Ready, Freddy. We were a little, one of our singers was woke up very sick this morning, so Rayma got thrown into the fire. <laughs> she had to sing it all, so give her, thank you. Yeah. All right, enough of that. But thank Rayma, because she, she really did step up, so. Amen. And if you would, pray for Lizzie because she's got a serious head fever, throat thing. So we just bless Lizzie right now in Jesus' name. We just thank you, God, that you're going to meet her right where she's at. And there's just going to be a quick and speedy recovery for her because you love her. You just love her so much. She's so precious to you. We just bless her right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I'm just going to launch right in to my message today. Um, <clears throat> I think one of, the, one of the teachings in the church that often gets forgotten about is really about how Jesus is interceding for us in heaven. You know, when we talk about Christ's intercession... Uh, we're talking about what Jesus is doing right now. And I know we, we love to talk a lot about the important things he did in the past, like his life, his death, his resurrection, all that good stuff he did to save us, right? Wonderful. But what about what is he doing right now? And many of us probably think that Jesus isn't really maybe doing much of anything to help us. And we believe that maybe everything needed to save us has already been done. But that's not exactly how the New Testament tells it. And so I want to take some time to, to talk about Christ's heavenly intercession today. Because uh, it's not just like an ignored topic these days. It's, it's also a part of what Jesus does to show us how much he cares for us. In a very special way. And so the verse I want to look at is in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, let's think about intercession and maybe its lack of attention that we give in the church. And I want to put that next door right beside the, issue, the, the, the idea of justification. You know, a lot is said by many, many Christians about justification, and it is absolutely essential. Justification is such an important part of the gospel because being justified means that we have been declared right. We've been declared righteous before God. It's like being cleared of all of our charges, all of everything, every crime we've ever committed morally, really, in real life, all of it, in the court of heaven, justified means wiped clean. It's gone. And that all comes exactly from what Jesus did for us. But <clears throat> if you're like me, our emotions often lead us 
sometimes to doubt how completely innocent I am. You know, this tendency to resist fully accepting God's forgiveness, it's natural. It also came from the medieval times and some from the Roman Catholic teachings. And so what happened was guys like Martin Luther, the reformers, Martin Luther and John Calvin, they brought back and emphasized this doctrine of justification. And then since that time, since that, the, the Reformation and all of that came, every generation from that time forward has to grab a hold of the idea of justification. Every, every generation. We've got to grab it for ourselves. It's the most amazing part of Christianity. We are declared right. Say that with me. Say, I am declared right with God. And you know when it starts? Right now. It doesn't start when we start doing better. It starts when we honestly admit that we never, ever get it right and never will get it right. That's when it starts. When we admit, I need Jesus. Justification, though, mainly deals with what Christ did in the past, especially through his death and resurrection. Romans 5.1 says, therefore, since we have, what's that word? Been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we trust in Jesus, we're justified because he went through the death that I should have went through. He went through the death that all of you should have went through for our sins. He faced it. That's justification. And we have been, say been, been, we have been justified. So what's he doing right now? Well, we don't have to guess. The Bible explains it. He is standing up for us. He is interceding for us right now. And justification, again, it's linked to what Jesus did in the past, but intercession is what he's doing right at this moment. Think of it like this. Jesus' caring nature is a constant reality Throughout time. And it's not like his concern for people was maybe it was strong when he was on the earth, but all of that has disappeared now that he's in heaven. No, his love hasn't cooled off since his merciful journey to the cross. It is just as hot right now for us as it was then. His heart is just as drawn to us, his people, now as it was when he was here on the earth. And his ongoing way of showing his care for us is by always standing up for us. He's always interceding for us. Now, what is intercession? In simple words, it's when someone comes in between two others, and talks to one on behalf of the other. Picture a parent talking to a teacher for a child or, 
or maybe an agent speaking to a sports team for an athlete. So what, what's the idea of Christ interceding? Like, who's involved? Well, it's God the Father, and it's us as believers. Now, why would Jesus need to speak up for us? I mean, like, after all, haven't we, like, been completely clear? Right? What's there for Jesus to argue on our behalf? Hasn't he done everything needed? To make us innocent? In other words, does the teaching about Jesus interceding mean that something was left unfinished when he paid for our sins on the cross? When we talk about Jesus finishing his work on the cross, does intercession have the idea or suggest that the cross wasn't actually finished? What does intercession really mean? Well, it means that Jesus is taking what he did to atone, to pay for our sins, and he is applying it right now. Right now, Christ is up in heaven speaking up for us. Which shows us how complete and successful his work on earth actually was. Because it's not like there's something missing from his work on earth that he needs to fix. The act of paying for our sins accomplished our rescue. And intercession is how that rescue is put into action, moment by moment. Jesus is praying right now about what he already did for us in the past. Right now, Jesus talks about what he did in the past. That's why the New Testament connects justification and intercession. It's in Romans chapter 8. It says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? It is God who justifies. That's not a question. There's a period at the end of that. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus' intercession, it's like hitting the refresh button on our innocence in the heavenly courts. Just picture that. Just do over. Just reset. Now, let's dig a little deeper. Christ's intercession shows how personal our rescue really is. If we only knew about Christ's death and resurrection without knowing about this thing, his intercession, we might start to see our salvation in a way that's too mechanical. Might feel more like following a a formula more than understanding who Christ truly is. See, Jesus is standing for us through intercession. When he does that, it shows his caring nature. This is the same heart that guided him through his life and through his death for us, his people. Now, this heart is constantly asking, and it is reminding, and it is urging his Father to always welcome us in. This moment of worship we had today, 
Jesus was praying for him. He was at the Father's right hand. Now, we have to be careful because this doesn't mean that the Father is hesitant to welcome us. Or that maybe Jesus cares more for us than maybe uh, than the Father does. The Son's work of saving us from our sins was something that both the Father and the Son agreed on with joy. And they agreed way back before time began. And so the Son's intercession doesn't show that the Father is distant. It actually, actually reflects how much the Son cares for us. Christ doesn't stand up for us because the Father is just barely interested in us. It's because the Son really, really cares for us. And it is the Father's greatest happiness to say yes to the Son when Jesus speaks up for you and for me. Imagine just for a moment, an older brother, and he's cheering for his younger brother who's in a track race. And he's just cheering and yelling and hooping and hollering. And his younger brother, even when he gets way out ahead, he's way out ahead of the rest of the, the, the runners in that final stretch. And we know he's going to win. It's not a... There's no doubt. Does the older brother stop cheering? It's like, oh, he's got it, whatever. No, we're screaming our head off when he's going, getting ready to clear us. Right, it's bigger, it's bigger. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. He's not going to stay quiet and content, not at all. He's shouting with all of his might giving words of encouragement and approval and joy and victory. He can't keep quiet. And it's the same for our older brother, Jesus. He just can't keep quiet about us when he's talking to the Father. And the Father loves hearing the prayers of Jesus for us. Now, you've heard me talk about a guy, John Bunyan, he wrote a whole book. He wrote Pilgrim's Progress and tons of others. But he wrote a whole book about Christ's intercession, a whole book. And it's called Christ, a Complete Savior. And in it, he explains how the intercession idea is all about what is truly in Christ's heart. There's a part of our rescue that's about facts. And Jesus, or Bunyan calls this justification. And he says that God makes us right, not by giving us rules or showing us how to act, but by the blood that Jesus shed for us. God makes us right, not by expecting things from us, but by giving things to us. But there's also another part to this good news. And Bunyan, he says it like this. He says, as you must know him and how men are justified by him, so you must know the readiness that is in him to receive and to do for those what they need that come unto God by him. 
Suppose his merits were completely efficacious, which means effective. Yet if it could be proved that there is a loathness in him, that these merits should be bestowed upon the coming ones, there would be but few adventure to wait upon him. But now, as he is full, he is free. And nothing pleases him better than to give what he has away, than to bestow it upon the poor and the needy. Even if we believed fully in the doctrine of justification and knew all our sins were totally forgiven, we would not come to Christ gladly if we knew he was an austere Savior. But his posture right now, as he is in heaven, his disposition, his deepest desire is to pour out his heart on our behalf to the Father. The intercession of Christ is his heart connecting our heart to the Father's heart. And the verse that John Bunyan wrote his whole book about, Christ the Complete Savior, Hebrews 7.25. In fact, it might probably be the most important verse in the New Testament that talks about Christ's intercession. Now, if you read chapter 7, you'll, you'll see that after talking uh, about Christ's priesthood, and how his priesthood stays constant and never changes. The writer in Hebrews, he says this in, again in 725, he says, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, those words, to the uttermost, can be replaced with one Greek word. And it's panteles. And this word means total, whole, complete. And it's used only one other time in the entire New Testament. And that's in Luke 13, 11, where it talks about a woman who couldn't fully straighten herself for 18 years. So what's, what's the reason for saying that Christ saves to the uttermost? Well, for those of us who understand our heart, we get it. Because when we really know our heart, what we're capable of, we understand that we are sinners. Apart from Christ, we are complete sinners. We are totally sinners. We are sinners to the uttermost, which means we need a Savior who is just as complete. Christ doesn't just give us a little assistance. He rescues us completely. He rescues us fully to the uttermost. Now, this might seem obvious to those of us who have been following the Lord for a while, and we probably think, you know, of course Jesus saves us. Duh, Tom, this is elementary, right? But just think about your own heart for a moment. Think about how it actually works. Don't you feel sometimes just a subtle urge to add your efforts to his saving work? It's like we act as if Hebrews 7.25 means Jesus can 
mostly saved those who come to him through God. It is on the contrary, the salvation that Jesus brings us, it is complete, it is total, and it covers everything. Now, in the flow of this chapter, these ideas in Hebrews 7, there is a special focus on the timing of this salvation. It says, since, since Jesus, he now has this permanent priesthood, and he continues in it forever, and he's not like the old priest who died, but Christ, who's forever in this priesthood, can save completely. And so our place in God's favor and family, it's never going to run out. It's never going to fade away. It's never going to be like a, a, an engine that runs out of fuel. You know, most of us usually have a, a small part of our life where we struggle to believe that God's forgiveness completely covers it. Yeah, we will say we're forgiven. We'll even claim that we're completely forgiven. And we genuinely believe our sins are forgiven. You know, mostly. There's that one deep, dark corner of our lives, even in the present. It just seems so stubborn. It's so ugly. It just feels like this thing can't ever get fixed. That phrase that he's able to save to the uttermost it means that God's forgiving and healing touch reaches right down into the deepest hidden parts of our souls. Those places where we feel the most embarrassed. If anyone saw this. That place where we feel the most defeated. And there's more to it. And there's the, those corners of sin are actually the places where Christ loves to meet us the most. His heart willingly goes there. His heart is most strongly pulled to those dark, deep places that we're afraid for anyone to see. Because why? Because he understands us completely and he rescues us completely because his heart cares for us completely our mistakes and failures cannot push us away from the love the tender care of jesus how can we be sure well the passage again it gives us the answer it says in 25 that he's able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for, for them. We're confident. We have this confidence that Christ will save us completely because of this ongoing heavenly intercession. And here's what this really means. The divine son never stops, right? Notice the word always. Everyone say always. Always. The divine son, Jesus, never stops presenting his life, his death, and his resurrection to the Father moment by moment. Jesus constantly points the Father's attention to his own righteousness, his own goodness. 
And through his intercession, Christ is paving the way for us to approach the Father. That is amen. Do we realize what this means? I mean, let's look at how honest the Bible is, right? The Bible, it openly admits that we as Christians, we keep on sinning. Christ keeps on interceding for us. Why? Because we keep on stumbling here on earth. He didn't just forgive us through his work on the cross and then hope we'll manage it the rest of the way. Who knows what a glider airplane is? Glider planes, they don't have an engine. And they need to be pulled up into the air by another plane and then they get released. So imagine a glider being lifted into the sky by an airplane. It's about to be released so that it can take its time just gliding back down to the ground. Now, we are like this glider. Christ, he's the plane. But here's the difference. Christ never lets go. He never releases us. Wishing us luck, you know. Hoping we can glide all the way to heaven on our own. No. He keeps pulling us. He carries us through all the way to the end. Here's another way to understand Christ's intercession. Right now, Jesus is praying for you. You know, our praying, it isn't so great most of the time. I know, I talk to a lot of you. Mine's not so great much of the time. But imagine, just imagine if you could hear Jesus praying for you in the next room. Just imagine what he's saying. Would that not bring a sense of calm to you? How about confidence? know you could hear him praying for you by name the confidence that you would have about your own life knowing wow the son of god is praying for me there's nothing i can't overcome it is so comforting to know that christ prays for us even when we ourselves are not that great at praying for ourselves I think it's sad how much we overlook this teaching and doctrine about Christ's intercession. Because it's a shame because it's such a reassuring truth and it comes right from the heart of Christ. Christ's atonement, it assures us of what he did in the past. His intercession reassures us of what he's doing right now. If you're in Christ, you have Jesus speaking up for you. You have a mediator who's here in the present speaking on your behalf. And he is happily celebrating with his father. And they both have enormously great good reasons to welcome me and you into their hearts. How comforting it is when we go to the knowing that when we go to God each day, knowing that we can do it boldly. 
We can get from him whatever we need. We go in the name of someone the Father loves and the Father delights in. Someone who's at his side talking to him about us. Jesus makes us acceptable. Jesus makes our prayers smell sweet. He makes our prayers pleasing. And yes, we can sin to the uttermost, but Christ's saving, it goes to the uttermost. And his saving is always stronger and always bigger than my sins. Because he's always praying for me. Now, there's another word that we use to describe when someone goes to bat for us, when someone stands up for us. It's the word advocate. And this is a very closely related idea to intercession. Very closely. Intercession and advocacy are closely related. They're similar. But there is a slight difference in uh, between the two Greek words that they're based on. Because intercession, again, it involves mediating between two parties, bringing them together. But advocacy is similar, but it's about aligning oneself with another. In fact, I need a couple of volunteers. Okay, Mally and Ryan, come on. Oh, sorry, I can't see That kid next to that girl, you come down here, please. If you guys come up here on the stage. Mally, why don't you come over here? You stay right here. There we go. Okay. So, an intercessor stands between two parties, right? And their job is to go, aren't we happy family? Mm -hmm. This is special. (laughs) This is fun. I love this. Hug me. Put your arm around me, dude. What's going on? Jeez. I'm going to have to get someone else. Intercession. All right, now, split apart. There we go. Now, an advocate, what they do is they come over and they go, and we're going to pretend like you're the father. This is like, hey, I want you to meet my girl. She loves you. She loves me. We love her. But we're together. I'm with her. She's with me. It's solidarity. It's advocacy. I'm aligning myself with her. Not that I'm against him. That's not what we're talking about. But I've decided I'm, we're together in this. We're in this together. That's advocacy. Thank you, guys. You can go sit down. So Jesus, he's both an intercessor and he's an advocate. And like intercession, advocacy is overlooked in the church. But it comes from the heart of Christ. We can't overlook it. And I've already talked about what Bunyan, he wrote a whole book, again, about Hebrews 7.25, which was the main verse in that book, about Christ's heavenly intercession. Well, guess what else he wrote a book about? He wrote a book about... Christ's advocacy, and he based it on 1 John 2.1, which is the main verse about his advocacy. It says, my little children, 
I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The New Testament's message of grace isn't just about being indifferent to morality. A lot of modern Christians think, oh, grace, morality doesn't mean anything. I don't have to worry about it. It's not that big of a deal, whatever. God's covered me. I'm, I'm forgiven. Got the blood. That's not the message of the New Testament. The message of the New Testament is that the gospel tells us that we must turn away from sin. And John clearly says in this verse that he wrote this letter to prevent his readers from sinning. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if that was the only message, it would be a fair and very appropriate summary of this letter. But it could also crush us. Because we need more than just a call to do better. We need freedom. We need Christ not only as a ruler, but we need him as our friend. We don't, not just above us, but we need him right beside us. And that's what the rest of the verse explains here. If we do sin, we have someone who speaks up for us to the Father. It's Jesus Christ who always does what's right. Now, the Greek word for advocate here in 1 John 2.1 is the word parakritos. And it shows up five times in the New Testament. The other four times it shows up is in when Jesus is in the upper room with the disciples, and he's talking to them, and it's in John chapters 14 through 16. And in those passages, when Jesus uses this word, uh, parakritos, he's talking about the Holy Spirit's role after he goes to heaven. And so it's kind of hard to translate parakritos with just one English word, which is why so many translations, different translations of the Bible, use different words like helper or advocate counselor, comforter, and companion. Some of the translations will choose one of these words, and then they will give the alternative uh, suggestions like in their footnotes, because it's just really hard to capture the meaning of this word in just one English word. But the main idea is that someone stands up for someone else. So advocate is probably the best closest English word we have to really explain the role of parakritos. Now, right after John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, he says in verse 2, he says that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the, whole, for the sins of the whole world. Now, this means that Jesus calms down, turns away, and satisfies the righteous anger of the Father towards sin. Specifically, my sin. And so this is a legal term. It's kind of, it's like, it's a matter of fact. And so Christ as our advocate, it has this legal sense to it. 
But if you read literature uh, back in this, back in Bible times, if you read other literature that's not the Bible, other um, Greek, whatever, at the time, um, when they that word parakritos shows up, it often meant something very personal, much more personal. It was showing again this strong togetherness, this solidarity. It means that Jesus understands our real experiences. He feels what we feel. He comes close to us and he speaks up for us eagerly. So who does this advocate Jesus help? Again, the passage makes it clear. Anyone. The only thing you need is a desire to have it. Now, when do we get this support? Well, the passage doesn't say we will get an advocate, but it says we have an advocate. All those who believe in and receive Christ, we have him right now standing up for us. And why can Jesus do this? How can he assist us? Again, the passage tells us he is the righteous one. He's the only one who is. I'm not righteous. You're not righteous. He is. Even when I try really hard, really hard to turn away from my sins, I still end up making more Which means I need more forgiveness. And going to the Father without an advocate, it is hopeless. But having someone who supports us, someone who came to us instead of waiting for us to come to him. Someone who is righteous in, in all the ways that we're not. This gives us peace and it gives us a trust that we can go to the Father. Now, again, let's go a little deeper on that idea into the difference between Christ's intercession and Christ's advocacy. We're going to look again back at Hebrews 7.25 and 1 John 2.1. Because Hebrews 7.25 says that Christ is always interceding for us. But John says, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Now, do you see the difference here? Do you see the distinction Intercession is a constant thing that Christ does, while advocacy is something he does when it's needed. He intercedes for us because we're, we're just living in a sinful world, and we just don't do things in perfect holiness. But he advocates for us when we sin in very specific ways. In fact, John Bunyan, our buddy, again, he explains it like this. He says, Christ acts first as a priest and then as an advocate. Christ keeps on interceding as a priest, but as an advocate, he speaks up when there are serious wrongs. Christ as a priest is always active, but as an advocate, he acts only when needed or sometimes. Christ as a priest acts when things are peaceful but as an advocate, he steps in during times of conflicts, troubles, and strong arguments against you. 
So you can think of Christ as an advocate as on standby. He stands up and speaks up when his followers have fallen into some serious wrong recently. Now, do you see how personal this advocacy is? His advocacy comes to the forefront when I need it the most. And the Bible doesn't say that after we've truly joined with Christ, we're never going to struggle with sin. The Bible doesn't say that when we come to Christ, we won't struggle with big sins. In fact, being born again actually makes us hyper-aware of how wrong our sins actually are. After becoming believers, our sins feel much more sinful than they ever did before. I could tell lies all day when I wasn't following the Lord, and I never felt bad about it once. I can't even tell someone looks good to not hurt their feelings, because if they don't, I don't want to lie. I'm joking. I tell people they look good all the time, whether it's true or not. After we become believers, every the sin we it just feels worse. It's awful. It's ugly. And it's not, we're not just, it's not just a worse feeling about sin. We actually do keep sinning. We actually sin after we believe. And sometimes we make messes that are huge. We mess up in really big ways. And that is where Christ's advocacy comes in. In fact, this is God's way of telling us, don't give up. Don't you quit. You have Christ, and he is advocating for you. And what's beautiful is that this advocacy, it even goes beyond our wrongs. Because his defense for us speaks louder than even our mistakes. Everything's taken care of. You know, when we mess up, remember that legally, in the court of heaven, we're still in a good place with God because of what Jesus did. But also remember that Christ is there advocating for us because he cares for us. He stands up, he defends us based on what he suffered, based on his death. Our rescue isn't about a formula. It's about a real person who rescues. When we do wrong... His determination to help us rises even higher. When his brothers and sisters fail and stumble, he stands up for them because that is who he is. He can't stand leaving us on our own. I want you to just think about your own life for a moment. How do you think Jesus sees that hidden part of your life that only you know about? The moments you lose your temper again and again. The shady things you do in your financial dealings. The times you depend too much on alcohol. Constant need to please others. How 
the frustration and anger that you feel usually turns into some form of gossip. Regular use of pornography. Who is Jesus when you're feeling spiritually lost? Not when you've already beaten that sin, but when you're right in the middle of it. The Apostle John explains that Jesus stands up and he challenges anyone who accuses you. You know, Satan may try to have had the first word about you and I, but Christ always has the final word. Satan has nothing left to say after our advocate speaks up. Jesus, our paraclete, he's our comforter, he's our defender, who's closer than we realize. And his heart, it makes him stand up and speak up for us when we sin. Not just after we've overcome the sin. While we're in it. In fact, his advocacy is actually, it is, it is our victory over sin. Now, we are definitely, listen, we are definitely supposed to give up our sins. And no healthy Christian would say otherwise. When we choose to do wrong things, we are turning away from our real identity as children of God. And we are definitely inviting trouble into our lives. And we do disappoint the Father. As we walk with the Lord, we are supposed to be growing in our personal goodness we're supposed to be more dedicated. We're supposed to find new ways to be obedient to Christ. But when we mess up, when we choose to do wrong, it does not mean that our Savior abandons us. These are the moments when he speaks up for us in heaven, where he's defending us so strongly. He's silencing all the accusations, and he's even surprising angels. And he's celebrating how the Father still welcomes us, even with all our failures. Now, the question is, what kind of Christian does this doctrine create? Because naturally, people stick up for themselves. It just comes out of us, right? We want to clear ourselves. We want to protect ourselves. I mean, it's so natural. You don't even have to teach children to do this. You don't have to teach them to make excuses. When they're caught doing something wrong, what well, comes out? It's so, there's something built into us that makes us instantly try to explain why it really isn't my fault. Even when our hearts are influenced by sin, we automatically come up with reasons why our case isn't that bad. Well, I'm not sinning like sister so-and-so. <laughs> but the effects of sin aren't just seen in our wrong actions, but they're also seen in how we react to them. We downplay them. We justify. Come up with excuses and explanations. 
In other words, we're speaking up for ourselves. We advocate for ourselves. Imagine if we didn't need to stand up for ourselves because someone else had decided to do it for us. Imagine if that person knew everything about how I messed up and yet he could defend me better than I could ever do it for myself. Instead of me shifting blame or making excuses like we all tend to do, this advocate would present a fair case pointing to his own perfect sacrifice and the suffering he did on the cross. That would mean freedom. We wouldn't have to protect ourselves. We wouldn't have to try to feel important by our own efforts or secretly show off our good traits while deep down we feel so weak. We feel so inferior. We could leave our defenses to Christ, the only true and righteous one. Because Christ paid for us with his own blood. And that's not all. Christ, our fearless leader, he beat death and the grave for us. And that's not everything. Christ, as priest, he speaks up for us in heaven. And that's not everything. Sin is still in us, and it's still around us, and it mixes with everything we do, even our religious stuff. It mixes into our prayers, our sermons, how we listen, our preaching, our homes, our work, our shops, our school, even how we rest is affected by sin. Even the devil who opposes us day and night is always telling our father about our bad actions, hoping we'll be rejected forever because of that. But what would we do if we really believed we had an advocate? If we didn't have, what, what if we didn't have someone to plead for, someone who could win, someone who could carry out the role for us? Well, I, we'd be in big trouble. But since we are saved by Jesus, we just need to keep quiet. We just don't need to defend ourselves. Stop making excuses. We don't need to make our sins smaller than they are. What we need to do is to confess them. Take them to the one who's already advocating for you at God's right hand. Let your own unrighteousness and all your darkest moments drive you to Jesus, who is the truly good and all-sufficient one. Now, I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. I just want you to think about where is Christ in your life right now? Do you know him as an intercessor for you? Do you know him as your advocate? Shelley was touching on something earlier in worship. We all have deep, dark corners. 
question is, is are yours forgiven? Are you covered by Jesus? So I just want to give an opportunity right now. Because you may be here in this room and your heart's beating hard maybe or fast or you feel something needs to happen. You, you're, you're answering the question, no, I don't think I know Jesus. I don't think I... I've asked him to be my savior and my Lord. I don't, I don't think I know that. It's, this doesn't. Well, if that's you right now, everybody just with their eyes closed. If you're here and you are ready to receive Jesus, you want him. You want this Jesus I've been talking about to be your savior, to be your intercessor, to, to be talking to God on your behalf to be your advocate. If you want him today, I just need you to raise your hand up really high so I can see it. Because this is the moment. Maybe you're here and at one point in your life you were walking with God, you wanted to serve him, but you've walked away, you've become calloused or hard, and you know you're not close to him, maybe you know that you're living a, a lie or a charade, some of the best looking Christians are not serving God at all, they live in sin, if you're here and you want to rededicate your life, you want to give it all up to Jesus again. Just raise your hand until I can see it. Thank you. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you're ready for Jesus to be your Lord for the first time, are you ready to, to lay your life down to him again? Just everyone who's going to pray this prayer, just pray it and mean it from your heart. Just say, Father God, everybody pray out loud, please. Father God, I confess my sins. I confess that I have failed. I confess the deep and dark places of my life. I'm asking today that you would cover my sins, that you would wipe them away through the blood of Jesus, who died on a cross for my sins. And I receive him now. I ask him into my heart. I ask him to be my Lord and to be my Savior, that I will give control of my life forever. So, Father, I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to fill me now and to fill me from my head to my toes and give me the power to live for God. In Jesus' name. Now, if you would stand up. 
If you prayed that prayer the first time or prayed that prayer just now in, in a way that, like, I, I, just got, I just gave my heart or I just gave my heart back to Jesus, please come see me after service. But now I'm going to pray for the rest of us because we've all got deep, dark places. There's stuff that no one knows about. And Jesus, our intercessor, is praying for us. And so, Father, I'm asking right now the revelation of Christ as our advocate, as our intercession would reach down into the unhealed, broken parts of our lives. The places of darkness, the places of fear, anger, unrighteous anger. God, I ask that you would come and fill us with your love. I'm asking right now, God, to re-secure my heart and re-secure our hearts. Of what a beautiful thing Jesus is doing right now in heaven. As he prays for us, as he brings us up, he mentions us to the Father all the time. Secure our hearts again, Father, in this truth. Let peace flow in us. Confidence, calmness, as if we could hear him praying in the next room for us. God, I'm even asking for a revelation that goes beyond my understanding, that goes beyond our understanding. So come and meet us, God. Secure our hearts because we have an intercessor and an advocate who joyfully talks about us. And you joyfully listen. And you laugh together as you are so happy that we're in the family. And you know our frame. You know that we're dust. But as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We're your children. We thank you, God, for this compassion. We thank you for the intercession of Jesus and his advocacy. We worship you again one more time. We love you. Thank you for walking into the room today. Keep walking with us this week as we go to school, we go to work, at home. Be with us, God. We need you desperately. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.